All right, y'all, Titus chapter 3. And this is our, our last passage out of Titus. And uh, I don't know, it's pretty pretty quick, succinct book, gives us a whole lot of information, and, and we've taken about five weeks. But uh, it's kind of nice, too, to after you spend about a year and a half in one book to find a book that you can finish in about five weeks. It's kind of refreshing. Um, and then just wait, we're going to hit you with Romans and Hebrews, and we'll be there for a few years. So enjoy this little, this little break. But uh, we're, we're right here at the end of Titus, and uh, it really has uh, been encouraging for me. Um, so you'll hear the word epistle quite a bit in church, and epistle is really just a fancy word for a letter. And so if I say the word epistle, I'm saying it's, it's the letter from Paul um, you and I don't typically write epistles to one another. We write text messages, letters, emails. Um, in fact, y'all don't even write letters probably anymore. Cards are probably the closest thing uh, that we have. But, but this epistle, this is a personal letter. It's, it's deeply personal between Paul who's writing it and then whoever's receiving it, which is Titus. And we've been moving through it. And uh, this has really helped us understand uh, biblical leadership, biblical community, uh, biblical gospel understanding. That's what uh, Andy went over the other day. Biblical church discipline last week. And then this week, a biblical devotion to good works. God has not left us in a void of what he wants his church to look like. He's been very clear throughout scripture that this is how his church moves and functions and how it steps and how it pauses. Like you can read the Bible and know what the church should do and should not do. At the same time, there's a lot of grace in that, y'all. There's a whole lot of grace that as we gather here today, there are other churches gathering around town who are gathering in a different mode. And they're gathering uh, in different venues and in different, different ways. And that's okay. There's a lot of grace in that. Where there is not grace in that is whenever we do stray from what God says His church should be and should do. And so we need this constant realigning. Um, of what God's Word says, and then understand that there's a lot of grace in it. So as we talk about biblical leadership, we might structure with the plurality of elders at Cross Life Fort Smith, but there's also grace for a church together with a fully functioning staff. That's okay. But they need to be biblically qualified, right? There's grace in what a biblical community looks like, but my question is usually going to come back to, is there community at all? Right? That's it. Is there community? Is there an engagement amongst the ages that we see in Titus? If we ever stray on the gospel, biblical understanding of the gospel, then we've strayed on the foundational piece and we're, we've lost our way. We always have to hold to the gospel. We tend to think of the gospel as what we need for salvation. But I'm telling you what I need to be reminded of at 3 o'clock in the morning whenever everything is overwhelming me is that's just by the way the time that God has decided. You're going to wake up 3 o'clock in the morning with everything on your mind. What I need to be reminded of at 3 o'clock in the morning is that, that I was a sinner, that I was an enemy of God, and the God of all creation who created me has come for me. And that gives me peace. It gives me my hope and stay. I'm reminded that he holds me fast and that he hears my voice. That's all the gospel. So Jerry Bridges reminds us, he's a, a great author, and his, his, his truth that I take with me is that we don't just need the gospel to save us, we need the gospel to sustain us. 
And so we want to be a gospel-centered church where we're always reminding one another of the gospel and we're not doing it as jerks saying, well, I don't know why you're worried about that. God's in the heavens. He's got you. Don't worry. But we're saying it as encouragement that, yeah, that, that is pretty rough. Praise the Lord He didn't leave you alone in this. Right? So we remind each other of the gospel. All of our messages come back to the primary motivation being the gospel. Like everything we do is based and rooted in the gospel. Biblical church discipline, it tells us about this in Titus and in Timothy. We see it in Corinthians. We see it throughout Paul's other letters. Do other churches do church discipline? I can tell you that I've talked to many pastors who who say, oh, I love all of this, and then you get to church discipline. Oh, I I just don't know about that one. It's biblical and it's scriptural and it's for the good of the church. And that's what last week's message was about. And then this one is biblical devotion to good works. So, all that to say, there's a lot of grace in how churches work these things out. But we have to still be working them out. Right? We still have to be making that progress. So now that we're here at the end of Titus chapter 3, you might be looking at that saying, man, that's like... It's like three verses. This is, we can probably start checking out right here. And there is that temptation. It's kind of like at the end of a movie. You know, we're sitting at a theater, which we really can't do anymore. But you remember those old days whenever we sit at the theater and you make it to the end of the movie and the credits start rolling? Everybody starts to get up and they're, they're walking out, but they're kind of watching the screen for just a little bit, unless it's a Marvel movie. Okay, if it's a Marvel movie, you sit there through the credits. Because you know that there's a really vital scene. There's some treasure that's right there at the end. And, and, and we started doing that through other movies. I found myself, even during a kid's movie, I'm like, y'all, let's just wait. I'm like, well, it's the credits. I'm like, I know, but there might be something. And I'm so disappointed when there's nothing. Like, that's what Marvel's done to me. We wait for that vital scene. So what's, what's my, my point in all this is the end of Titus and the end of the epistles, whenever Paul is writing and whenever James and Peter, it's like a Marvel movie. Okay, so don't get to those last few verses and just say, he's tying it up. He's talking about people I don't even know. It's probably good to start checking out. So we just read it really quickly and then we go on. No, there's always something right there. There's always something really valuable that we can learn from. And so I want to take a look at that. I want to, I want to go ahead and, and, and dive in. But it's also in these, these final verses that we actually find the verse that's the theme for all of Titus. And all of Titus can be summed up in this one chief verse, the main verse of Titus 3.14, where Paul is insisting that God's people learn to devote themselves to doing what is good so that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. All of Titus, if you want to know the main theme, it's this. Do good works. That's what it all comes back to, and it's layered throughout it. This short book reminds us that the church has been called to do good works. And those good works work themselves out in biblical leadership and discipline, gospel proclamation. So here we go. We're in Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, right here at the end. So let's keep pushing into God's Word. Paul finishes by saying, When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, by the way, just stop right there. Whenever you get to a name and you're in Bible study or you're you've been asked to lead or you have to preach and you get to the name that you do not know, the pastoral advice that is really godly and wise, 
the grandfather of the faith, Brother Bill, told me, he's like, when you get to that word, you just say it quickly and confidently and you go on and nobody else knows. So that's my advice to you. Whenever you're in Bible study, ladies, you're in yours right now and you get to the name, you just roll it out there confidently and everybody else is going to be sitting around you going, I never knew how to say that. So just there, there you go. So is that how you say it? Take a kiss or is it Tychicus? Tychicus today. Here we go. So when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See, they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So that's our text. Got three things that we can glean from this one, from this passage. The first, uh, first thing that we can really look at, there are instructions for fellow workers in the faith. So Paul's taking this time, and you will see him do this at the end of his epistles, end of his letters. He's usually going to give further instructions. You and I, we can text things as they, are, as they arrive. Um, so something's on my mind, I just shoot out a WhatsApp uh, you know, yesterday. And then something else comes up, well, we can shoot that out. And so we can get that message out there ongoing. Paul does not have that convenience. And so this is his, his time to say, by the way, in the interim between this letter and the next letter, the interim and this letter until I see you, make sure these things are done. And he talks about four other people in there. So we're going to look at them very briefly, but I want you to understand that as Paul is giving um, other instructions for fellow workers in the faith, you and I are fellow workers in the faith. When you became a Christian, you became a fellow worker in the faith, which means that we don't just get to sit back and coast, but we're all working alongside one another. That's what Hebrews reminds us of, is that since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that, that hinders us and run. So that's, that's what you and I need one another for. That's what Corinthians tells us whenever it talks about how you and I are members of the body and how there's, there's a, one who is an arm and one who's an eye, one who's an ear, and each part is absolutely valuable. But we are fellow workers. And so Paul has something to say about that to, to Titus, and he's going to talk about these four. But you and I are fellow workers, and you and I have been called to push the gospel to the ends of Fort Smith, to the ends of Arkansas, to the ends of the earth. Wherever God gathers His people, our mission is the same. Spread the gospel and send it to the ends of the earth. What does it look like for us right here in this context? We don't know yet. And that's okay. I think that God will let us know when it's time to send some or send the word to the ends of the earth. What I'm hoping is that as COVID begins to scale down, we'll be able to start looking at our church going overseas and taking a group who can go do that. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to church funds being spent overseas in those missions. I want to spend our money in that way. We spend our money, our missions budget, to, to a lot of local resources, but we're not just called to here. We're called to here and there. So as fellow workers in the faith, we're going to push into this and he says a couple of things. First off, we know Paul's winter plans. He's going to spend the winter in Nicopolis. You want to know which Nicopolis it is? Just start reading the scholars. They spend a lot of time on this. I don't think that that matters for the point of the text. But he says, winter's coming. Titus, do your best to come to me. 
Why is that important? Because that phrase, do your best to come to me, in the original, was like a hurry up. He's longing for Titus to get there soon. And he says, I'm sending people who are going to relieve you, Titus. In other words, all the pressure is not on Titus to build and sustain this church. So he's, he's given his future plans. All right, so these four characters, these four people that he mentions. Artemis, just so you know, we know nothing else about Artemis except that he's mentioned right here. And Artemis is with Tychicus or Tychicus, whichever one you prefer. We actually see him in Acts 20, verse 4. That's our first introduction to him. And then we see him throughout other letters. So Paul says, hey, I'm sending two people to you. This guy, just so you know, we don't know much about, but he was a dear worker for Paul. And Paul trusted him to lead a church, to go and, and, and relieve Titus. Tychicus or Tychicus, he was in Acts 20, verse 4, and then we see him throughout. And so he's another one of Paul's associates. But just keep that in mind. There's one who's really known, and then there's one who's kind of unknown to us. All right? In that day, they were probably both known. But for us today, there's one who's really known, and then there's one who's really not known. You get this next group, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. Apollos, when Apollos, we know about. He first shows up in Acts uh, chapter 18, verse 24, and then we see him throughout the other letters. Zenos the lawyer, all we really know about him is that he is a lawyer. We don't know if he's Greek or Jew. We don't know if this is a Mosaic law or the Hebrew law. We, we don't know. We just know that these two men are traveling and Titus is supposed to provide for them. So there's one who's known and then there's one who's kind of unknown to us today. Y'all, I want to encourage you as you sit right where you are that throughout, um, throughout the Bible, there are many who did good and great work for the propulsion and the proclamation of the gospel who will never be known. And that's okay. That's good. They sowed the seeds of the gospel that have, been, have taken root and are growing today, and we will never know their name. But they were faithful. And then there are some where we know their name and they were faithful. But I want to encourage you because you might be tempted to sit there and say, well, God's going to use them because they have a bigger platform than I do. They have a bigger opportunity to share the gospel and impact lives than I do. But y'all, God uses the known and the unknown. He always uses the faithful. So whether known or unknown, whether there's a platform or not a platform, whether there's an opportunity to be known or an opportunity to be behind the scenes, we remain faithful and we serve where God leads us and He will spread the gospel. There is encouragement here too with Titus that if Paul, if God is going to move a leader out, then He's going to move leaders in. And so just keep that in mind that as we go and as churches grow and fluctuate and as we're watching churches around town, as we see missionaries go, because that's always a hard thing, y'all, I'll just tell you, we want to be ascending church. Well, we want to be a church that, that as we grow, we're equipping people and they're saying, hey, this has been great, I'm equipped, and then we're ready to go. We have mother's hearts and I, I appreciate that. So. Sorry. We're going to hit pause real quick and we're just going to pray for them, okay? Lord God, um, we just want to lift up Natalie and, and just not feeling well right now and, and the foxes. 
Lord, just uh, that you do give her comfort and peace and healing, and Lord, that you just um, you just be that very present comfort uh, for them. Lord, we trust you with that. We trust your healing and your goodness and your comfort. Amen. All right. Sorry, y'all. We got tons of kids, so this is probably you know. We're wondering about our own, you know, we're always wondering when's the next one going to be sick. So we're going to, we will continue on as they're, they're taking care of that. So I want to slide back in that, that whatever platform, wherever God calls you to serve, whether it's behind the scenes or in front, it doesn't matter as long as you're faithful. And we see that we see. And, and for all understanding that we know, Titus did what he was called to do. Paul gave instructions. Titus did what he was going to do. But where I was going with my last point is that God is not going to break down one ministry or rob a leader from one ministry without or just to build up another ministry. So as he's calling Titus away, he's providing other godly support that's going to come in here. And Titus wasn't meant to bear that alone. All right, let's look at our second point. This is probably the lengthiest one. And it's, it's just the biblical reminder to good works. Paul was writing to Titus and he said, remind our people to be devoted to good works. And you know who our people would would delineate there who would would remind us of? He's saying remind Christians. Remind those who say that they follow God and follow Christ. Remind them that they have an obligation and that is to be devoted to good works. So why in the world is this important to you and me? Because... This is actually a pretty heavy topic that a lot of people weigh in differently on. And if you're, if you're tracking with cross life in our heart, then you might be saying, no, 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 not good works. All right, Ricky, you always remind us, not good works, faith alone. We just need faith alone. That you always tell us that salvation's not by works done in righteousness, but by God's grace alone. And so... Um, I'm just going to tell you, your flesh wants to say that there, should, that there doesn't have to be good works, and Scripture is going to say that because of your salvation, there will be good works. And, and so we're going to just look at those verses, and we're going to let it fall where it will. But there is a biblical call to do good works. But I do want to take a little caveat here that at Cross Life, we do hold to the five solas, right? So as I, I'm, I want to root us in this so that as we preach about good works, you understand that, yes, you're absolutely right, by faith alone. But we hold to the five solas, which are, these were the five marks of the Reformation. So I'll have people, and I've told you, they'll say, are you a Calvinist? You know, they'll, they'll ask the question that way, and I usually say, no, I'm, I'm Reformed. Because Calvinism, you, you kind of get pigeonholed as to, oh, well, this is who you are, how you believe, how you move, how you function, what you do. Really? I'm, I like to say I'm Reformed because then I can say I believe in the five tenets of the Reformation. And then I get to talk to people about that. So, what are these? And what do we hold to at Cross Life? Sola Scriptura is Scripture alone. We believe that Scripture alone provides everything that we need to move and function. However, I do believe that some tradition is helpful. I'm not saying that all tradition is bad. I'm just saying that whenever you line up Scripture and tradition, Scripture trumps every single time. So we would say Scripture alone is sufficient. Faith alone is sufficient for salvation. So we would say um, 
a Latin term that I don't know how to say the right way. So we're just going to say it as faith alone. So absolutely, hold on to that. Faith alone is all we need for salvation. And that is by grace alone. It is God's grace alone, because of our faith alone, that we're informed of through Scripture alone. It's by His grace alone that we are saved. So in other words, we don't earn our salvation. It's by His grace. It's a gift. We hold to Christ alone. That Christ alone is all that we need for our salvation. And we know of Christ because we've read about Him in Scripture. Our faith has, inf- has, has um, secured our salvation through His grace, through Christ's death on the cross alone. We do not need Christ plus anything else. Christ plus anything else equals absolutely nothing. Christ plus nothing equals everything. And then, all of this is to the glory of God alone. So whenever I say, we hold to the five solas of the Reformation, or um, I say that we're a Reformed church, that's what I really mean, that we hold to these five things. So, yes, you are correct. Are we saved by faith alone? Yes. Not by good works. But that's not all there is. Scripture keeps going. So we hold to those. But you need to know that we were saved by faith alone, not by good works, but we were saved to do good works. So our faith was enough to save us. His grace and Christ alone are enough to save us, but we were meant to go do good works from that point on. And so that's the thrust of this passage or this section right here. So we're going to profess faith alone for our salvation, but we also have to know that that is followed with good works. And here's plenty of scripture for you. We're going to actually turn to these passages. Please go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. There's a whole lot of scripture in this one so that we can let scripture work its way in us. And as it works its way in us, it works its way through us, it equips us, it washes us, it challenges us in a way that a pastor cannot. It also is going to give you biblical support for why we must do good works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others, watch this, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is speaking there and he says, you do your good works and let your light shine. Why? So that others can see that you are doing good works. Let's go to the next one, Matthew 25. So flip to your right. Matthew chapter 25, and this is a longer passage. And this is, this is one of those whenever I read it, man, it's intimidating and convicting. I don't know about y'all though, but I need the Scripture that convicts me so that I know where, whenever I'm in error. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, picks up and it says, this is Jesus speaking, when the Son of Man, so when Jesus When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And we're like, Amen. That's that's exciting. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats He will place on the left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to, the, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So as we serve those who are in need, we serve the king. That's where we want to stop. right? That's where we can just hit pause right there. That's a little bit more comforting, but it's not the full passage. We tend to sometimes conclude passages whenever we feel better, but, but we need to keep going and we need to read 41 through 43. Because then he says, then he says to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they're going to answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And we didn't minister to you. And then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That whole thing will preach another set of three or four sermons. But take a look at that. And just, just let it simmer for a little bit. But when the Son of Man comes in glory, which is what we love to sing and look forward to, we look forward to that glorious day whenever we're going to be before His throne. And it says right here, Jesus says, when that happens, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And to the sheep, I'm going to say, thank you for serving me and to the goats, I'm going to say, you never served me. And the ones who served me are the righteous who will go into eternal life. And those who will not serve me by serving others are the ones who show that they have no fruit of righteousness in their lives and they will go to hell. So you can do a whole lot here, but what we see is that whenever the nations are assembled before the throne, there are not the righteous, the unrighteous, and the semi-righteous. They're kind of right there in the middle. There are two camps. There are the sheep and the goats. And the sheep do good works and the goats don't do good works. The sheep go to heaven. The goats go to hell. It's a farm lesson here. So if you need to know what a sheep and a goat are, you can Google those. But they are distinctly different animals. Alright? That's what you need to know. Distinctly different animals. And they have dis distinctly different traits. The righteous and the unrighteous have distinctly different traits and they move and function in distinctly different ways. But Jesus says... When you serve them, you're serving me. And when you do not serve them, you're choosing not to serve me. There's a tension here that you're probably experiencing because I know that you live in Fort Smith. And I know that as you get off the interstates, there's always someone there and they always have a need. And are you supposed to give to them or are you not supposed to give to them? And what if they go do this and what if they don't do this? Ricky, what are we supposed to do with that? You pray and you trust the Spirit. It's that simple. It's simple. In this moment, God, do I give or do I not give? There are times whenever I don't give, I don't have peace giving, I'm not called, and then there are times that I do. And you're like, well, you didn't give in that moment. Are you not giving like you're supposed to? That's very possible, and that's something that I've got to wrestle with God on. So I'm not telling you, have that window rolled down every time and, and hand it out. 
because we also know that we live in, a, live in an evil, manipulative world that's looking for any occasion to indulge itself. At the same time, I think that there are more times that we're supposed to roll our window down and give than what I currently do. That there are times that we hear about someone who's in need and it's easy to think, well, somebody else will give. What can my little amount do? What your little amount does is show your faithfulness to God. So this is one of those where if you want me to say, here's how you solve this tension and problem, I'm saying to you, I haven't figured that out yet and I never will. There are certain things that from the pulpit and as a pastor, I can't tell you, here's how you do this because that's God working in your life and not me working in your life. Does that make sense? It's not a cop-out. It's freedom and grace for you. That what God has called you to, serve there, be faithful. I'll come back to that and, and reiterate that in a moment. Please go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. we got about three more passages that are going to remind us we must do good works. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Paul's writing, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, but he didn't say good works in there, so how does this apply? Ephesians 4, 1, there's a phrase in there. And it's one that I like a whole lot. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That was his instruction to the church. You and I have been called, basically, to live out and walk out the gospel. As a result of that, we will do good works. But where you're called to serve and where I'm called to serve and how we serve, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. But to walk... in in biblical terminology and in context, is to work out. Not work out with lifting weights, but work out your salvation. So walk in this way, work your salvation out in this way is the thrust. That's why I've included that here. But watch how we do this. As you and I do good works, here's how we do it. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now watch what happens between Matthew where we're serving, or we're solving and meeting community needs and needs of those who are sick and weak and weary and it seems to be external. Ephesians, this looks like it's calling us to also within the church as well. That this, this is something that we should be doing good works amongst ourselves as well. And as we do this, as we walk in a manner worthy, we're doing this one to another with humility and gentleness. We're bearing with one another in love. So the good works are not only external, they're internal as well as we walk life together. Flip to your left to Romans chapter 2. We're going to go from Romans to James. So as you find Romans... If you want to start also flipping back to James, it's going to be close to the end of the Bible. Be flipping to your right. We're going to start in Romans chapter 2. And what it says in Romans chapter 2, 
he will render to each one according to his works. So God is going to God is going to judge or render or give back to each person according to what that person has done. Okay? So he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So it's clear in Scripture, even in Romans, that for those who do righteousness and do, ex- and do what they're supposed to do, they're doing the good works, He is going to give the, the glory and honor and immortality of eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not give those things and do not serve those things, there will be wrath and fury. It really harkens back to Matthew 25 whenever there are two types of people. Those who serve and those who don't serve. Those who give and those who don't give. Alright, now we're going to go to James chapter 2. The whole passage is James 2, 14 through 26, which is quite a bit of Scripture. We're going to read about 14 through 19 and then we're going to jump to, we're going to skip over some verses. James chapter 2, verse 14. James is writing, and he's really addressing the issue that's at work in our churches today. Still at work in our churches today. Well, I have faith, is what some would say, and faith is all I need. I don't have to do good works because my faith is enough. That's what Scripture says. And that's, that's one camp. And then the other camp is saying, well, you need good works. You've got to have good works. It's my good works that prove that I'm a Christian. And, and James is addressing this back then, and we need to address it today, because which one of them is right, faith and good works? Absolutely. Which one is right? Absolutely. It's both. There's a, the two camps need to learn to come together and communicate more. Here's what James says. What good is it, my brothers? So what good is it, Christians? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, Scripture says, If it does not have works, is dead. So verse 17, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Look at verse 26. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works is dead. So here's, here's a summary of all those verses. Is faith alone enough for salvation? Absolutely. But faith saves us to do good works. Like, there is a tension. So I would say, true, authentic, saving faith will absolutely produce selfless service. True, authentic, saving faith will absolutely produce selfless service. It's a lot of S's in there. It's alliteration. I'm an old English teacher. It's just how my brain works. But that's what we see in all these scriptures. Think back through them. And for those of you taking notes, go back and, and visit those again. By the way, all of my notes, every sermon outline, just say you want it and I'll shoot it to you. There, there's no 
secret text here. I'll send you all my notes and everything I got. You just always have to remind me, hey, can you send that to me? But in all those verses, we see that whenever you are truly, authentically saved, you will produce works of righteousness. So, why now emphasize good works? Because number one, it's scriptural. But number two, this is really intimidating to say, but, but it's just the truth. You ought to be honest. We have a lot of lazy Christians who are sitting around just resting on a proclamation of faith and no proof of it whatsoever. Right? Because we go back to Scripture and it says that saving faith is going to produce works. But there are a lot of lazy Christians who like to go in and they like to sit in the church pew. They want to watch the show. They want to leave. They don't want to... It's not going to cost them anything. They want to evaluate the service and then they want to go on. And that looks nothing like what Scripture says Christianity is. Christianity is is that everybody who is a Christian comes together and they're all moving and working. It doesn't mean that everybody comes to set up set up the, the chairs or benches. It doesn't mean that everybody is greeting at the door. It doesn't mean that everyone's doing a prison ministry. But it means that everyone is being faithful in the context to which they've been called. But if I'm, if I'm going to do a prison ministry and God hasn't called me to do a prison ministry, I'm just as unfaithful in that moment than the person who is sitting in a pew. So what has He put on your heart? What has He called you to do? Do those things. When Christians refuse to serve, this is just the bluntness of having Scripture open before us. When Christians refuse to serve, it's going to show us two things. Number one, they were never saved. And number two, they have a shallow faith. It's one of those two. A Christian who will not serve either is not really a Christian or their faith is just really shallow. But you know the great thing about God's redemption is that whenever we recognize my faith has been shallow, I've really been self-seeking, I've refused to serve you, God, I am sorry. He says, I forgive you, go and sin no more. And the shallowness becomes deep, and the self selfishness becomes selfless, and He pushes us out. But it is a completely unspiritual person, according to Scripture, a completely unspiritual person who refuses to serve others. All right, that's a lot of really just heavy, and that's going to be on the podcast all over the internet for, you know, no one who listens, so that's great. I'm sure you know who Dwight L. Moody is. Um, you'll also see D.L. Moody. He was a famous pastor, and I love this, this brief story. It says in 1897, Dr. Grenfell was in Boston, and Mr. Moody was holding meetings in the Tremont Temple um, at the time. Dr. Grenfell found uh, Mr. Moody in his hotel and he, he went, he knocked on the door, and um, he told him, he said, what does it say? He told Mr. Moody that he owed his conversion to him 14 years before. So Dr. Greenfield goes and finds um, Mr. Moody, uh, D.L. Moody, and whenever he finds him, he says, my conversion was because of you 14 years ago. That's not the thrust of the story. The thrust is this. Moody's response was, what have you been doing since then? So since your conversion 14 years ago, what have you been doing since then? That was his immediate response. And so that's, I think, a great question for us. Since your moment of salvation, since my moment of salvation, what have you been doing since then? It's a pretty sobering question for us to kind of sit back. Since the goodness and the grace of God push itself into your life, and we respond to that and say, you are my God and my King, whether that was four days ago, four years ago, or 14 years ago, 
what have we been doing since then? So it's a great question. So I'm going to remind you of what Paul told Titus to remind them of. Y'all let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. It's clearly what Scripture says, so I'm reminding you, devote yourselves to doing good works, whatever it is that God's put in front of you, so that you can help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. If you're a math person, the equation's pretty simple. looks like this. According to that verse, good works equals helping those in need equals fruitful living. Works. Now, are those urgent needs in the community, in the church, in the kingdom, in Africa? Where are they? Wherever God calls you to serve, be faithful. That's the urgent need that you're supposed to meet. Is it setting up chairs, tables, serving in kids? Is that the urgent need you see that God's called you to? Absolutely do it. Is it going overseas to do missions? That's the urgent need you've been called to? Absolutely go do it. Be faithful wherever He's called you. That's what we see with Titus. That's what we see with Paul. That's what we see with Artemis, Tychicus. That's what we see with Apollos and Zenos and every other known and unknown person throughout all of Scripture. When they're faithful, God moves. I think it really is as simple as this, though. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Flip there for me. This is the longest point. I told you that. So I warned you. You had fair warning on that one. If you were going to take an intermission or bathroom break, you just missed the opportunity. That was your biggest moment to step out. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, I think is a good parallel for what we see of Titus chapter 3, verses 14. I tell you all the time, I would love for us to be an Acts 2.42 Acts 2.42 church. And we use that verse quite a bit, but listen to all of it. 42 through 47. This is what the early Christians were doing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Y'all watch this. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What do you see there? A gospel community coming through of what we've seen in Titus and they're willing to give up anything that they have for the sake of solving any urgent need within the church and being together with one another. And that's what God adds to every single day. So that's just kind of a a, a good parallel. I want to summarize all of that to go back to Moody's point. Since the moment of your salvation, what have you been doing? If we've been sitting and coasting, we repent, we know there's forgiveness, and we begin to learn how to serve. All right, last point's really small, and it says the grace of God as the soil. So if we're thinking of gardening, soil matters, right? The grace of God is the soil. Look at the last five words of the entire book. Grace be with you all. There was a a seminary and missionary leader uh, named Paul Koistra. We're going to say that's how you say it. And he would preach grace to the point that whenever he would preach it, 
Others would get pretty upset and he would say, there's nothing else to preach but grace. And they would get upset and they would say, oh, absolutely, there's obligations, relationships, there's duties, there's things that have to be fulfilled. There are other things that you can be preaching. And it goes back and, and it's what you and I need to understand. That really grace is the soil from which everything else that we've talked about grows. In Titus, where does biblical leadership come from? A rich, grace-filled soil. Whenever churches hold into the grace of God, which is what saved us and which has saved us from the darkness and called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, that's all His grace. Every time we sing of His goodness, that's by His grace. Every time we wake up to a new day because God has sustained us, it's because of His grace. Why can the church gather as it does? Because of His grace. Why can we preach how we do? Because of His grace. Like everything is grace is what Paul Quister was trying to get across to them. It's a grace that saves us. It's a grace that teaches us. It's a grace that strengthens us and enables us and equips us. Like that grace is rich. And whenever that is why the church gathers and where it finds its being, then everything else will work itself out. Will it be messy? Absolutely. But we don't need programs to get away from the messiness. We just need to understand grace and the gospel and how the community of God should move together. Ephesians 5 I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 10 say this as your encouragement. By grace you have been saved, church, and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. And it's done through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen to this. After all that grace and all that faith talk, for we are His workmanship, church, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace we have been saved to extend grace to others. That's what we do. By grace to extend His grace. So how do we conclude all of this? Mine's pretty simple. John 17, 17. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We've had plenty of scripture. And then we, we trust that that sanctifies and works within us. I can't tell you how to feel. I can't tell you what need to meet. I can't tell you what your next step is, except for this. Talk to your God who hears your voice and listen to him. If we've sinned, then we repent and we know that we're forgiven. And if He says go, we say absolutely. And if He says stay, we say absolutely. Whatever it is He says to do and wherever it is He says to serve, may we be poured out like a drink offering for Him. Because no work done in His name is in vain. So we're going to trust Scripture is true. Plenty of Scripture has gone out. We're going to let it work within us. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for Titus. I thank you for the challenge that it is to the church. But Lord, this particular passage where we see Titus doing the good work of leading the church in Crete and where we see Artemis and Tychicus going to do the good work that they were supposed to do and where we see Titus doing the good work of providing the needs for Zenos and Apollos and where we see the good work of Paul spending his life leading churches even from afar. Lord, all these examples of doing work because of the grace that you've extended to us, Lord, may we be sharpened and equipped by that. 
Lord, I thank You for Your Word. And I thank You for fellow believers who are just real in their faith and willing to wrestle with the fact that, that You have called us to do to live a life and to walk in a manner worthy. Thank You that there are those who want to walk life together for Your glory. Lord God, we love You. Amen. Again, and we'll uh, end the service with one more song. I think on page 38.